Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 121 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, one of the things that I know we all look forward to is vacation. And I'm no exception. And, you know, when you're, especially when you're in treatment, you just look forward to those breaks, those times that you can get away. And we recently returned from a close to a week trip to Nashville to hear some great live country music, visit the Grand Ole Opry, spend time with my wonderful sister Margie and her husband Norman. And then Linda and I went on up to Louisville, Kentucky to, let's say, sip some bourbon, shall we say. And just a couple of other amazing highlights. We got to see Linda's family home, which is on the National Registry. Really cool moment to be able to see her old family home that she hadn't seen in decades. And we also got to visit Churchill Downs, home of the Kentucky Derby. And this was a bucket list trip for me. And I think it really was probably the first bucket list trip that I've ever made. And this was scheduled before we learned that my cancer had returned. And one of the first things I asked the doctor after getting the tough news was, can we still take our trip? And he agreed, Dr. Strasberg, thank you so much. He agreed to postpone my third chemo treatment by a week so that we could take that trip. And it was a trip of a lifetime. And I'm just so appreciative that I got to take the trip and that my wife, the love of my life, Linda, was there by my side for it. It's, it's a trip that I'll never forget. This week's episode is my interview with Susan Strong. You, you can find Susan online. She spends most of her time on Instagram at living life after lymphoma. Again, that's living life after lymphoma with no spaces, underscores, just one word. And the reason why I was so excited to have Susan on this show is this bond that she and I share. We are both survivors of cancer in our youth and suffered the after effects of that treatment. Susan is a survivor. She was diagnosed at the age of 17 with Hodgkin's lymphoma, underwent quite a bit of radiation treatment, and as a result needed a heart valve replacement just a few years ago, and then was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, the similarity between her story and mine is, as many of you know, I'm a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer known as Wilms tumor. I also went intense radiation therapy for that cancer, and I'm of the belief that that treatment was one of the main reasons why I was diagnosed with colorectal cancer in 2011. So really interesting to hear Susan's story of how this all came to be in the late effects and how she's living and loving her life now. So join me now for my conversation with Susan Strong. 
Susan, welcome to the podcast. I'm so appreciative that you reached out to me on Instagram to share your story. How are you this evening? Hi, Lee. I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here and be able to share this time with you on your podcast. I, I am too. And the first thing I got to ask you, because we've been kind of emailing back and forth with different things, and in every one of your email signatures, there's a quote. Yes. Tell me about that quote and <laughs> why it's there. Oh, thanks for asking about that. So I've actually had cancer twice, and the most recent time was about a year and a half ago, and the I was diagnosed with breast cancer about a year and a half ago, and the day I was diagnosed, that quote just rang through my head, you know, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It's from Mary Oliver, and that just... I thought about it and thought about it, and I found something shortly after that had the quote on it, and it felt like you know it was like sent to me, meant to be in a way, and I I bought the the piece of art with it, and I really used that diagnosis to make a big change and transformation in my life because it did give me a sense of you know. Susan, what is it that you plan to do with this one wild and precious life that you have? And I really got in touch with what I was passionate about and and what I wanted to do with my time. And facing cancer for a second time gave me the courage to take that step and actually do what I wanted to do rather than just think about it. So that's why. <laughs> well, well, don't leave us hanging. What is that? <laughs> what is that special thing? It is using my talents, my passion, my time, and efforts to support cancer survivors, to bring awareness. I'm still working out some of the pieces of it. Some of it has already happened. I'm doing some speaking, which I really love. I'm starting to write. I have a lot of contact with with different people online, kind of creating a sense of community and tribe that's really important. And I left the classroom. I, I was a classroom teacher for 15 years and just got to a point where it felt like what I was giving in that position didn't balance what I was receiving, you know, so there was like a constant drain. And I, I just didn't feel like that was the best thing for my health, mentally or physically, emotionally. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so I decided I, I would just take the leap and, and do what really excites me. So that's what I'm up to. <laughs> so you were diagnosed with lymphoma as a teenager. Yes, I was 17 years old and I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had, it was a month or two after I graduated from high school. And it really had a big impact, um, not only that year or so of really intense treatment, but looking back, I realized that I made a lot of big decisions about my future, you know, because at that time in your life, <laughs> that's when you're making some big decisions that affect your future. And I realized that having cancer impacted the choices that I made. And I think I chose to kind of play it safe in a lot of things that having cancer at that point impacted that, that choice. Yeah. Okay. So what impact, if any, Susan, did your first experience with cancer have 
when you receive the news that you had breast cancer now, you know, years later as an adult? Yeah, well, and actually, Lee, before the breast cancer, about two years before that, I found out that I had heart valve disease, and I had to have a heart valve replacement. And that was really my first introduction into the idea of late effects from treatment. So I realized that the treatment, in my case, radiation to the chest for the lymphoma that saved my life 35 years ago now was creating late effects at that point. So for me, I I made it about 30 years before I had the late effects. But that heart valve issue was really the start for me. And I had started researching online and was amazed at how much there is if you if you research Hodgkin's disease and and heart disease or radiation induced breast cancer or radiation induced cardiac disease. I really wasn't very aware of it. And so it just created this, wow, this shouldn't be so hard for people to find information. People should know about it. And so I created a website to try to help people because I, when I was first diagnosed with the heart issues, found found it very difficult to find information and specific to what I, what my situation. And so I created a website and started finding other people, kind of collecting that tribe, as we talked about earlier. And, and that's, that's what started the the advocacy work and the trying to reach out and find other survivors because part of it was a concern for long-term survivors. Are they being properly followed up? You know, do they know what kinds of high risk evaluations and testing that they should be having? Screenings, I guess is the right word. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I, I really, felt passionate about wanting to reach out and and help other people who had a similar background. So, and then we've connected on Facebook. There's a group that has about 500 people in it now of long-term Hodgkin survivors. And and we share a lot of health information as well as just, it feels so good to know you're not alone. It feels so good to know somebody understands some wacky, weird health issue that you have or mental health issue that you might have. Sure. Sure. What, what is that group in case anybody's listening is interested in, in looking into it? Let me, let me look it up and get back to you, yeah, you <laughs> to get the right name. Cause it's got a, a, a longish name. It's not an easy to remember name. Fair enough. So, okay. So for our listeners, I'll include the link to that Facebook group in the show notes at at our website at wehavecancershow.com. So uh, we'll make sure to include that. You know, it's interesting, Mm -hmm. Susan, you know, I'm I'm thinking about my story, your story. I have another friend in the colon cancer community, Marcy Marsh, who lives out in Montana. She's a- I do know her. You know Marcy? (laughs) We're in the same- Oh my goodness. Shout out to Marcy. (laughs) It is. Small (laughs) world. So Marcy needs to get on my podcast. Well, I'll tell her uh, she needs to. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. So, so it, you know, so you don't need me to tell you her story, but also very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, heart issues, and like me, colon yeah. cancer, breast yeah. cancer. And, you know, I haven't done the research, and but it's more kind of I've heard through the grapevine about the late effects of 
cancer treatment for, you know, for young people. I'm a Wilms tumor survivor, a rare form of pediatric yes. kidney cancer. And I had a, had a, I had a little bit of chemotherapy, but the majority of my treatment was all abdominal radiation. And don't, what do you know, 50 years later, 45 years later, what I come down with colon cancer. Yeah. You have radiation, you know, to the chest abdominal area. You've got heart issues. You've got breast cancer also all in that same neighborhood, right. so to speak. And, you know, I certainly would like to see more work done in terms of awareness. You know, part of me wonders is if I was aware of that, you know, would I have gotten a colonoscopy earlier than 50 when mine was diagnosed through a routine colonoscopy? Oh my gosh, Lee. You know, I had no, I had no symptoms. Right. Uh, I was just, oh, oh, you're 50, go get a colonoscopy, wake up, right. out of cancer. And actually Lee, through these groups is how I learned that I was at high risk for breast cancer after the heart issue came to light and I was treated for that. And I did not know until then that I needed to be treated or screened every six months, alternating a mammogram and a breast MRI. So because I knew about that, and because I was getting screenings um, based on a high risk profile rather than a normal one, the breast cancer was caught somewhat early. It was invasive stage one. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to be stage zero. Some people actually do catch it that early in the community. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And this is a message I think that's really important for survivors is the long-term follow-up and knowing where to be, where to go for information about the risks. And that's something else that a link I can share with you that you could put on your website is a link for the recommended follow-up for different types of cancer and different treatment. You can look at it by the cancer type and the body part type and the treatment that you had, and you can get the NIH uh, recommendations for the type of follow-up that you should have. Great. That would be great to have as well. So tell me a little bit, Susan, because this was kind of in our correspondence. You, one of the things you said you were exploring is a retreat and, and dealing with, you know, life post-cancer. And it's, it's one of the hidden sides of dealing with this, this disease is that when you get through treatment and, you know, at some point, some of us are fortunate to hear the words, oh, there's no evidence of disease or, you know, your treatment's over and, you know, go live your life, right? And, you know, oh, go celebrate, right? Right. You know, go go live your your new life. And that sounds great in theory. Right. (laughs) But it's not quite so easy. Yeah, it can be a little overwhelming. And a lot of survivors that I talk with will say the end of treatment is some of the scariest part because they're no longer actively doing anything to, quote, fight cancer And so they feel vulnerable and afraid of what's next. And then, you know, you might be going for follow-ups every three months or so. And so there's that, a lot of times, real terror that people feel. You know, we have a little word, scanxiety, that makes, sort of makes light of it. But it's, it's a very real thing. And it's, it's stressful for people. And then I think sometimes survivors 
kind of evaluate like I talked about doing when I would, what happened with me when I had breast cancer was this, you know, am I really doing what I want to do with my life? Am I spending days, you know, what if my time here is shortened? And, you know, am I spending that time in a meaningful way for me? And so I, I am going to start having retreats for cancer survivors at this point, women. And the first one is the first weekend in April. And it'll be a small retreat in Denver. People can reach out to me if they want more information about it. And it'll be a three-day retreat. And we'll be looking at we'll be looking at mindset. We'll be looking at beliefs. Sometimes we have limiting beliefs that kind of hold us back that I mean, they're not true outside of our own heads. <laughs> and oh my, oh my goodness, yeah. Sometimes when you just kind of become aware of that and notice that, you you might be able to make some different choices or give yourself permission to make some different choices and really do what you want to do. It's it's kind of like, you know, another question too is what's in your baggage that the world needs? Like looking at at what you've gone through and how can you transform that into something that is a gift to the world like you're doing, Lee. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> uh-huh. So I want to try to help people do that as well as have a sense of community at the retreat and time to relax and enjoy being together. And then I'm working on planning a bucket list trip to Paris and the French Riviera in 2020 (laughs) for cancer survivors to go um, again, give themselves permission to have the trip of a lifetime and, and go together and do that. So those are some of the things I'm working on. And I give you a lot of credit, you know, in my, in my day job, I help people who've been impacted by corporate downsizing and restructuring, uh, give them the skills they need to get back to the workforce. And, you know, the majority of people are so attached to that job. And even when they're unhappy, I, I was guilty of that myself years back, that I'm more comfortable in the job that I'm unhappy at than taking the risk and the scary change to do something about it. And, you know, you walked out of the classroom because that was no longer meeting your needs, you know, and and I give you so much credit for, for making that decision. Oh, thank you. And I'm still a teacher. I I mean, I love to teach, (laughs) but uh, it's just a different, a different setting and one that feels more free and even more authentic. I'm just ready to be who I really am and just let that be my gift to the world (laughs) and to be happy and let that be my gift to the world too. The happiness I think comes crystal clear through the microphone. I have the fortune of also being able to see you while we're doing this interview so I could see your face as well. (laughs) Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. How is that different or is that different from from the old Susan? Mm. When I say old Susan, that would be the the Susan uh, before breast cancer, before the the uh, the heart issues. 
Yeah. You know, I've, I've been on a long journey of transformation. It's been a lot of, I guess you call it personal growth, work, therapy, you know, there's just, and I actually realized too, that I have post-traumatic stress disorder from my experience with cancer as a teenager. So, you know, being willing to get help and go through that process of, of personal growth and making change and taking risks and kind of braver than you think you are sometimes has made a lot of that. I think, I think, you know, the happy me is probably really who I am, but I, I did struggle with depression and anxiety a lot. And I feel like the work that I've done, you know, the growth work that I've done um, has made a huge difference in that and allowed me to give myself permission to, to be who I am and not be trying to live somebody else's life or a life to please someone else or that I think someone else expects of me or what have you. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally does. And and you're not the first to mention post-traumatic stress. I think that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. If I can ask, how did that manifest itself? How did you realize that that was becoming an issue for you? Mm. I kind of have it on two levels. I noticed it. I have noticed it with this breast cancer issue coming up that it's very medical that I would just have anxiety. And again, in the heart issue too, now that I'm reflecting on it, where it's a strange sense of like, you know, here I am talking to you, very calm, rational, and something could happen that usually is something that feels unexpected. Say, here's an example, this love story that illustrates it, I think. When I went to have my heart valve replaced, the procedure that I was having was called a TAVR, transcatheter aortic valve replacement. Um, the morning that I went to check into the hospital, I went to the place I was supposed to go. You know, I was a little nervous, but, you know, just normally nervous. And then I checked in at the desk and they were looking on the computer, the woman, and, and she said, well, I don't see you on the schedule. And it was like some a f- switch flipped. And I basically, I, the only way you could describe it, I think, is like a panic attack. I mean, just like I couldn't think. I kind of dissolved into tears soon. And it it was just very difficult. So things like that, like if something unexpected happens sometimes, or I also all of my chemo was done uh, with IVs. And so all over the years, if I've ever had to have an IV, same kind of thing of just a lot of anxiety up leading up to it. And then if, and then I have bad veins because of the chemo. So then multiple sticks, I would end up in tears and it, it was just extremely stressful. And, and it's kind of, it's easy in some ways to maybe just say, oh, well, I just have this thing or, you know, that happens, but recognizing it and realizing that you can get help. And there's a a treatment that's been around for about 20 years that's called EMDR. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That's what it is. Is that the therapy involving different hand motions that I've heard Uh, Yeah, yeah. It can be... 
I think it first started with Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro was the inventor of it. And she started it with kind of waving your fingers and the person watches and the eye movement. And there's something about having it go into dual hemispheres of the brain helps process it and get it out of the limbic system. That's where a lot of trauma gets stored, which is the, and the limbic system is not connected to our frontal cortex where we can use language. So Mm -hmm. it's just a very emotional primal part of the brain. So anyway, EMDR now, a lot of times too, they can use where they'll put a little, little, they call them little paddles, but they're just tiny little round things that you hold in each hand and it vibrates and moves from side to side. And that helps you process. But it really, I I think for cancer survivors, looking into EMDR therapy could be really valuable to process their cancer experience. Because a lot of times, I think we minimize it. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember being 18 and struggling with depression after my cancer treatment was over and going into counseling and the counselor saying, so tell me about having cancer. And I said, oh, it really wasn't a big deal because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I just skinned I just skin my knee. Yeah. yeah. And the therapist just kind of looked at me and she was like, Well, Susan, I know you are a really smart person. Like, can you think about that? Like how how could you say it's not a big deal? And uh it was like, Oh, you you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> busted. Yeah, busted. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What are your what are your big goals? You know, you, you sounds like you're starting down the path of speaking and advocacy and retreats. Five years from now, what, you know, what do you hope that looks like? I really hope to have impacted a lot of people. I should probably come up with a number for for the goal, <laughs> but I I haven't yet. But I want to. I just want to help people. I want to have what I've gone through be for a purpose and a purpose for the greater good. And so I hope that I have opportunities to speak and um, share my story and talk about resilience and, and mindset and, and share tools that can help people strengthen um, their, their resilience and mindset, because those are things that you're not just born with. You can, improve and increase that those abilities so to help people in those areas and and inspire people and but get them to take action you know to make their lives better and to hopefully be part of a little chain reaction on the world where people just start continue paying it forward and and having a positive impact on more and more people a nice goal. <laughs> I like it. And I want to write a book too. So, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Something else you and I have in common. Very good. Yeah. Great. And I've made a commitment to meditate every day. That's something else that I'm doing right now. Ah, so, okay. Good mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get so much benefit from that. You know, the whole uh, meditation and mindfulness, really important. Yes. Really important. Yeah. And being present in your body. And that is um, hard to do, especially, you know, if you're 
in cancer treatment. Um, you have times where, you know, it doesn't feel good to be in your body. But can I tell you a story, Lee, from Please. when I was 17, someone had given me kind of a little daily inspiration book. You know, you read a little paragraph or two every day. And I remember one quote from that book that just struck me like lightning when I was 17 years old. And it's a, an old quote, I think from the 1800s, but the quote is the chief pain of most trials is not so much the actual suffering itself as our spirit of resistance to it. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? The chief pain of most trials is not so much the actual suffering itself, but our spirit of resistance toward it. So it's that resisting what's happening, resisting the present moments. This can't be happening to me. I don't want this. This isn't my life, whatever it is, that that is what causes suffering. You know, the resistance, it's when you can begin to be in your body. And I actually, I didn't even know anything. I don't know why I, how I did this when I was 17, but I started this little experiment with myself and I would start checking in on myself in moments. Cause you know, you can get to the, you can tell yourself the story that God, I have cancer. Life is terrible. This is horrible. And even at 17, and then I did it again this last year and a half, of stopping and checking, well, how's this moment? How's this moment? How's this moment? And oh my God, I had so many great moments in the middle of having cancer. I mean, people sending me gifts and cards and or somebody coming and just sitting and visiting with me and just enjoying and kind of slowing down from all the craziness that we tend to do in our lives and just being. And I mean, I found that 99.9% .9 of the moments were really good moments. And then, you know, so for me, when I had Hodgkin's chemotherapy, there was just no doubt about it. Like that moment was crap. <laughs> like I just, yeah. and I would just be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to allow this day. Yeah, I, this is a crap day, <laughs> but the rest of it is really great. <laughs> It's not crazy. It's not crazy at all, you know, and uh, I hope through this conversation that maybe one person is able to take a step back and kind of see that. Uh, I tell people all the time, I I think I even mentioned it in the video that you saw. Love that video. <laughs> oh, thank you. In the going on eight years now that I've been dealing with my cancer, I say with zero hesitation, they've been the best eight years of my life. Because the good moments far outnumber the crap moments, <laughs> as you said. No doubt about it. No, so much good has come my way, you know, from in my beautiful wife of six years and and grandkids and and marriages and and just all kinds of just wonderful things that have come in my life that far outweigh and outnumber, you know, those chemo days and the, those surgeries and all those other things, hands down, hands down. You know? Yeah. And if you, yeah. through the work that you're doing through retreats and speaking and all that, can even help one person see that, uh, then good for you.
Good for you. Yeah. You know, I, I had a, an example happen like that um, where, so in the middle of my breast cancer treatment, the drug they give me can cause heart failure. Well, of course, I've already had a heart issue, you know, so, oh, one more thing to worry about. But I'm sitting in the waiting room at the hospital waiting to have an echocardiogram because they gave me an echocardiogram every three months during my breast cancer treatment. And I'm just sitting there by myself in this big university hospital in Denver. And this man walks up to me and he said, did you have TAVR? And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking, how does he know that? And he said, I had Hodgkin's disease too. And I saw your video and I live in Wyoming and I'm having Taver tomorrow. And you're the reason why I'm here. Wow. And it was just like, oh my gosh, because I've been an ambassador for the American Heart Association and they've made several videos of me telling my story and telling about having had this heart procedure that's a non-invasive way to replace a heart valve so you don't have to have open heart surgery. It's an amazing thing. So yeah, so this young man, young man, huh? We're the same age. (laughs) Then then you got it right. Yes, we are young. (laughs) Saw, uh, yeah saw my video and he didn't even know that this procedure was an option. And, you know, it, it helped him at a crisis point where he was trying to figure out what to do. And so that was such a great day because it was this sense of accomplishing exactly what I had set out to do when I was in his place almost four years prior looking online and trying to find anyone who had a similar experience, any information I could find. And it was so hard that I just made the decision that, well, I'm going to make some myself then if there's nothing out there. So, so it was so great to have that random meeting of a stranger. And now we're Facebook friends, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great story. Who, who knew you'd be famous, right? Oh, yes. Actually, yeah, I was somewhere the other day and this woman said, do I know you? Are you famous? And I said, oh, yes, I am to a very small group of people. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So that video is on your website. Where can people see it? Oh, yes, there are um, connections to to the several videos on my website so I can give you links. I'll I'll think about it and and give you a bunch of links that'll be helpful right. to your listeners. Your, yeah. your main website though is stronglifenow.com, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's stronglifenow.com because you are Susan Strong. So <laughs> Uh, aptly named, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I decided to really live now. So <laughs> that's how we came up with it. Love it. Where else can people find you online, Susan? I am on Twitter and Instagram, allstronglifenow.com mm-hmm. and Facebook. I've got a, a page that's Strong Life Now and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. <laughs> so we'll have links to all of the places where people can find you. Great. On our website at wehavecancershow.com. 
Well, Susan, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and get to get to see you and talk to you and and share your story. It, it's an inspiring story, and I appreciate your time and sharing it. And I wish you first and foremost continued good health. Same to you, Lee. <laughs> I appreciate that. So this episode is going to come out early 2019, but just for our listeners, so they their brains don't explode. We are recording this less than a few days before Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. You too. People are going to listen to this go, that was months ago. Yes, it <laughs> That's was. old news, yes, Lee. <laughs> yes, it was. But I don't want to be a rude host and not <laughs> wish my wonderful guests a uh, happy holidays. So all the best to you. Thank you so much and be well. Thank you. The Colon Cancer Coalition is sponsoring several events around the country that I want to share with you. First coming up on Saturday, April 27th for our friends in the Pittsburgh area. Shout out to Jim Huber, Stacy Hurt. Hopefully you guys will be there at Save Our Butts. This is taking place at Elizabeth Fire Hall in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. Saturday night, April 27th, beginning at 5 p.m. A great event featuring food, fun, and entertainment, pasta, music, a DJ, silent auction, all kinds of fun things for the kids as well. Admission for adults is $30, kids is $15. Hopefully our friends in and around the Pittsburgh area will be able to join us for Save Our Butts. And there are two Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk One Mile Fun Runs coming up in May. The first one is Sunday, May 19th, right up the road from me in Orlando, Florida, at Bill Frederick Park at Turkey Lake. Again, that's taking place on Sunday, May 19th. And on the following Sunday, May 26th, for our friends in Wichita, Kansas, your Get Your Rear and Gear event is taking place at Farm and Art Market Plaza. For information on these and all other events sponsored by the Colon Cancer Coalition, visit their website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.